You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Listen, we're talking about God of the impossible. And man, I'm just thoroughly enjoying teaching this series. I've still got a couple more sermons on it. And just talking about when we face impossible situations where all circumstances speak to us and say no. People say no. Doctors say no. People say no. Situations, circumstances, feelings that we have towards the situation says no, no way, no how. It's not going to happen. But I want you to know something. That God is the Alpha and Omega. That He always has the last word on everything. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He is writing your story. And until he puts the dot on it, until he says it's over, nothing's over. Until he speaks. And he has the final word over every situation and circumstance in our life. He has the final word. And we need to understand that he has the final word. But you know, in James it says this. It says, Listen, he's talking about asking for wisdom, and then just like God does, he'll talk about one subject, and then he'll end on a note that kind of covers every subject. And he says, but when you ask for wisdom, ask in faith, not doubting. He said, don't be like the, the, the wind and the waves and, and blown back and forth and in and out, that, that for a while you're in doubt, and then you're in faith, and then you're in doubt. He said, you should expect to receive Come on. Nothing from God. He said, You got to take a stand. You got to take a stand and say to your feelings, You have to say to your feelings, Listen, feelings, I'm not led by you. The Bible says, Those who are led by the flesh, led by their emotions and feelings, it'll bring death to your life. But those who are led by the Spirit will enjoy life in peace. And so we have to decide, are we going to be led by our emotions or our feelings or our circumstances or led by the Spirit of God? We have to make a decision and take a stand. And we all, we all struggle with these thoughts and these situations. No one's, no one's immune. I'm not immune. No, no pastor or preacher or Christian I've ever known is immune to, to having these doubts and these, these fears and these circumstances rise up and say, no, and it looks like a mountain that cannot be passed. Looks like a wall that cannot be climbed. And doubt will speak. Satan knows the scripture. He knows if we if we're back and forth and wishy-washy or just give in to despair and doubt, he knows he's got us. So he'll use every every fiery dart, every thought he can to say, look, they said no. Look, the doctor said no. Look, that person said no. That's impossible. There's no way. It's not improbable like there's even a chance. It's impossible. There's no chance. No opportunity. And he'll try to convince you that he has the final word. That Satan has the final word or that the circumstances have the final word or that somebody else, some person has the final word. Instead of God, your Father, who loves you. He said, if I would give you Jesus in Romans 8, he said, if I'd give you Jesus, why would I not give you all things? He said, all of my promises are what? Oh, no, I thought it was maybe. I thought it was sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. 
Is that what the Word of God says? It says, all of my promises are sometimes? All of my promises? Well, if I'm in a bad mood, if God's in a bad mood, he's just going to say no. He's like a parent. You know, you catch a parent at the wrong time, everything's no. Kids need to learn. You know, I'd be frustrated about something, or Julie and I'd be arguing about something, and the kids are like, you know, they're, we need to learn something from them. God said childlike faith works. I mean, they're like, okay, you guys, this is all going on, and man, people could be crying, things would be happening, and they're, they're just standing there waiting. And all this is going on, and they don't even hesitate to walk up and go, hey, can I have 10 bucks, or can I have the car keys? Or, I mean, they don't even, you're like, are you paying attention to anything happening here? This is bad timing. But they, we're not, God's not like us that there can be bad timing. He said, all of my promises are yes. And then he says this, a lot of people quote the amen that God is saying the amen. It doesn't say God says the amen, which means so be it. It says we say the amen. We say so be it. We say so be it to his yes. If he didn't say yes, we can't say so be it. Because he's not going to do anything that he hasn't said yes to. But he'll do everything he said yes to to someone who will say, so be it, be done in my life as you have spoken. That's what Mary said when she got pregnant as a virgin. She said, I don't know how it's possible, but you're the God that can do the impossible. She said, so be it, amen, so be it done unto me according to your word. So everything said, no, Mary, you can't get pregnant as a virgin. Everything said that, that's impossible. But she said, I don't believe everything. I just believe the one thing, and that's the one thing is the promise of Almighty God that if he said he'll do it, he'll do it. That's what we're supposed to stand on. And our emotions and feelings, our thoughts, and all the pulls on us to, 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 uh, to, to give up or quit or, or to give in to our emotions, we have, to be, we have to lean on our commitment. How many of you ever not felt like going to work? How many of you never didn't, haven't felt like cleaning the house? A lot more hands on that one. People would rather go to work than clean their house. How many of you have ever thought, golly, why do I have so many kids? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. I mean, we've had thoughts about our emotions have pulled us a thousand directions, but guess what? Because you're committed and because you, you know you need to pay your bills, you'll say, I don't feel like it, but I got to get up and go. That's how commitment trumps emotion. And when you commit to Christ, when you say, I commit to you, Jesus, I surrender, like that song said, I surrender my life to you. I'm committed to you. You're the Lord. You're the final say. You're the beginning and the end. You're the author of my life. You're writing my life story. I surrender to you, and I don't surrender to my emotions and feelings. I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to keep believing in you because I'm committed to you. It's the, same, it's the same type of decision. It's amazing that we can do that with jobs. We can do that with cleaning the house or changing a diaper or stuff we don't want to do. But we do it anyway. And that's the exact same principle we need to apply to the spirit of faith. That no matter what the circumstances are saying, our emotions are saying, 
our doubts and fears and the stuff that Satan's throwing at us in those areas are saying, our response has to be, no, 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 no. So be it done unto me according to thy word, not this word. Not my emotions, not my feelings, but my commitment to Jesus. And more importantly, his commitment to us. His commitment to us. Turn with me to Mark if you haven't already. Oh, Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look at a situation that's impossible. Impossible for people, but not impossible for God. Because he's the God that doesn't just move in the natural. He moves in the supernatural. That means God can suspend what we consider nature. He can suspend gravity. He, could, he had the sun stand still, and it's scientifically proven that that happened, that God's word is always true. He had the sun stand still so that the armies of God could fight in the daylight and win the battle. He just said, son, you're not going down. He can suspend what is nature and what is natural on the earth. He can suspend it. He can change it. He can do whatever he wanted to with it because he's the creator of it. And, and so we need to be in a place that we trust that God is a supernatural God. And that he can suspend. He can change. He can move where there is no other move but him. When I did my journey, I've told you a bunch of times, don't keep telling you, I did it because there's needs. There's needs. There's, we need God to move. I didn't do it because I thought we could fix it. If I thought we could fix it, I'd have stayed here and we'd have worked on it and fixed it. There's situations and circumstances I prayed over for, for people, families in this church, for my own family and for every family in the state of New Mexico, every believing family and unbelieving family that only God can do right now. We need God to move. And he said, I'll, I'll meet all your needs according to my riches and glory. Uh, man, his riches are, are bottomless. He doesn't run. He's not like a human being that runs out of anything. It's, 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 it's eternal. His riches of his glory, and his glory is his goodness and mercy. His goodness and mercy have no limit. You know what I love about God? I love that he's not a respecter of persons. Do you know that as Christians, we're not supposed to be either? Then we're not supposed to treat the rich guy any different than we treat the poor guy. And human beings, that, he warns about that. He said, don't give justice to someone because they're rich and popular. You can get something from it and not give justice to the person who has none of that. God's throne, I've said before, is based on justice and righteousness. And that's what I prayed that New Mexico and our lives would be founded on is justice and righteousness. Justice demands that things are done right and that it's equal. That justice is applied equally to everybody. And I love it that he's not a respecter of persons. He don't care what color you are. He don't care if you're male or female. He don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. He don't care if you're from Africa, India, America, Mexico. He don't care if you're from France. I don't think he cares if you're from France. <laughs> Only people in my generation understand that joke. Anyway, I won't explain it to you right now. We love the French. But, but listen, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care if you have the highest IQ or the lowest IQ. He doesn't care if you're, everybody thinks you're beautiful or everybody don't think you're beautiful. He don't care if you're tall, short. He don't care if you're round, square. He don't care what you are. Everybody has a shape, right? 
But he doesn't care. He's not concerned whether you're eight years old, five year olds, or a hundred year old. He's not a respecter. He, every, everything applies to everyone. His justice and judgment applies equally. He doesn't say because you're Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's not going to stand before the throne and say, I'm Abraham Lincoln. And no, he's going to treat Abraham the same way he's going to treat me and you. Same judgment. Same judgment. If he, doesn't, if he didn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord, he's going to get the same treatment as everybody else that didn't. If he did receive Jesus Christ as Lord, he's going to get the same treatment everybody else did. He said the great and the small will appeal before him. But also on the flip side of that, all his blessings apply equally too. You can be from Roswell, America and walk in all of God's goodness and blessings. You can. You can be from here. You know, I've spent a lot more time with Marcus Cannon, who's from here. Marcus was born and raised here until he's about 12 years old, and they moved to Texas. And he ended up playing high school football in Texas. He was so ashamed to tell anybody he was from, born and raised in New Mexico. Uh, and so, but he, he got past that, and, but he claimed to be a Texan from then on out. And I'm like, shame on you, Marcus. <laughs> but I'm bringing Marcus back here to speak to our youth. And he might even come, I might interview him on a Sunday and talk about his journey. But he went to TCU, and then he played, he's played 12 years in the NFL. He has three Super Bowl rings. He's been to five Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. Marcus came from Roswell, America. Right here. Right here. Right here. God doesn't care where you're from. He just cares what you believe. That's what he cares about. He tells us right here in this story. Let's read this. Verse 14. Now, now, when they came down the mountain to the other nine disciples, they noticed a large crowd of people gathered around them with the religious scholars arguing with them. The crowd was astonished to see Jesus himself walking toward them, so they immediately ran to welcome him. What are you arguing about with the religious scholars, he asked them. A man spoke up out of the crowd. Teacher, he said, I have a son possessed by a demon that makes him mute. I brought him here to you, Jesus. Whenever the demon takes control of him, it knocks him down and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and his body becomes stiff as a board. Now what he's describing is a seizure. And some people think every seizure is from a demon. Not every seizure is from a demon. Some are. Some are not. Having the discernment to know the difference is really important because sometimes the seizure is caused by some physical ailment, some physiological issue in their body. They need healing, not deliverance. But in this case, the father knew, hey, this isn't a healing issue. This is a demonic entity that's taken possession of my son, and I need help, and I've gone to everybody. I went to the rabbis. I went to the synagogue. I've asked every, I asked your disciples they couldn't help him. And he's in an impossible situation. But he heard about Jesus, and he knew that Jesus would have the final word on the matter. And he said this, I brought him to your disciples hoping they could deliver him, but they were not able to do it. Jesus said to the crowd, why are you such a faithless people? How much longer must I remain with you and put up with your unbelief? I mean, you know, people, people want to talk about the love of God, and the love of God always tells the truth. Truth isn't truth without love, and love is not truth. Love is not love without truth. 
They are hand in hand. Love and truth are partners, just like wisdom and faith are partners. You can't love somebody if you're not willing to tell them the truth. And you can't speak the truth, really speak it with a right heart unless you're telling that in love. Otherwise, you have ulterior motives for trying to give them the information. And Jesus spoke the truth in love, and he looks and goes, man, how long are you not going to believe me? And it's a correction. He's rebuking them, correcting them, reproving them. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we need to quit doubting God. The Bible says anything done without faith is sin. You know, these guys that ride these motorcycles, that you're like, you're going to get a motorcycle? I'm like, nope. <laughs> Why? Because my wife won't let me? <laughs> no. I say that jokingly, kind of, because she told me I, could, I couldn't skydive, scuba dive, or ride a motorcycle until all our kids are raised. And I have at least $5 million worth of life insurance. No, I'm kidding you. She said only two million, not five. But anyway, so, but the reason I don't ride a motorcycle is not because Julie said no. If she didn't want me to and risk my life, I wouldn't do it because I don't want to put her in a situation where she's concerned. But the reason I don't is I don't have faith in other drivers. And anything done without faith is a sin. These other guys have faith. They have, they have faith to do it. I don't have faith to do it. It'd be a sin for me to do it. It's not a sin for them. They are confident. There I am, man. They're, they want everybody to hear it. Pastor Sean Paul. I'm like, man, it sounds louder. He's like, oh, yeah, I made it louder. And they have faith to do it. I don't have faith. Guys, anything done without, without faith is a sin. I don't do things I don't have faith for. I'm not going to walk in sin. And a lot of times we don't see it as a sin. We see it as, well, they're just doubting. They just don't believe. Jesus rebukes that. He says, how much longer am I going to be among people who don't believe in me? What are you doing? And so we have to challenge ourselves and say, man, God, I don't want to do anything without faith. I don't want to be in sin. And I don't want to continue to doubt and be pushed around like a wind, like the wind blowing a reed or the ocean waves where I'm in. But, but based on the circumstances or how I feel, I feel bad today. The circumstances look worse, so now I'm going to lead towards doubt. Oh, I got a good report, and now the circumstances look better. Now I'm going to lead towards faith. That's what he's talking about, that we're blown by the circumstances and by the word of man. We don't deny the existence of things. When a doctor says, you have this or this is that, and they know, they've proven it, they've tested it, we don't deny that that exists. We just deny its ability to have the final word. They don't have the final word. God has his, he has the final word. I remember I was with the family years ago, right down here at Eastern, and a doctor came in and said, it's over, they're going to die. Just kind of like that. And just spoke all this death. And they're crying and hurting. And I'm crying with them. And finally, he just kept speaking it. Finally, it rose up in me like, how dare you? And I said it. I said, I said I'm going to defend this family. I said, how dare you speak death over them? Who are you to decide it? And I just told them, you're not God. Stop it. I said, I've been in these hospitals, and you guys think you're God, and you have, you have the final word. He might die, but he's not going to die because you spoke it. Because you aren't God, and you don't have the final word. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end has the final word on everything. 
Just so you know, that person did not die. And I saw that doctor three weeks later with tears in his eyes. He pulled me into a side room. I was in there, so the hospital for a totally different reason. And he repented to me. He said, you're right. I shouldn't have spoken that. That person lived, I know, and I shouldn't have spoken that. I am not God. And I don't believe that. And I've just gotten in this habit of, of doing that because that's what happens here. And he said, I want you to know that that set on me this whole time. And I went home and asked God to forgive me. And I will not. If Oh, I'm going to resist every time to speak the final word over any situation. It was awesome. I've never had a doctor repent. I've had doctors walk out. I've had doctors say, ah, you know, treat you like you're nothing and walk away. But I've never had one say, hey, I was wrong. I really appreciated him that he would take time to really meditate on that. God has the final say. God has the final word. We don't deny things exist. I want to say that again. We don't deny there's a problem. We, we just deny the problem, the thing that exists, the people who say this or that. We deny their right to have the final word. And so Jesus says, now bring the boy to me. So they, after he corrected them, what does Jesus do? He sets another example. What does Jesus do? He solves the problem. So they... So they brought him to Jesus. As soon as the demon saw him, it threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus turned to the father and asked, how long has your son been tormented like this? He said, since childhood. Now let me say something here. This guy's not a child anymore. He's not a child. He's, either a, he's a grown man, and they considered a grown man then, 13, 14, 15 years old, but I don't know if he's not 30 years old. But he, since he was a little child, he's had this demon that took possession of him and been doing this to him. But not only causing these seizures and these convulsions, but even worse, listen to this. He said, it tries over and over to kill him by throwing him into the fire or into the water. Can you imagine raising a child from when it's little bitty and now he's a grown man a, a, a teenager, a grown man, and he's he's what he and they had fires everywhere. They cooked with fire. They heated their home with fire. That he would just walk in the living room, and that demon would throw him into your fire, and you'd have to drag him and put him out constantly. Or you walk by any water, they had to go to a, a well or 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 a, a river to get water. And every time they went there, that demon tries to throw him in the deep end and drown him. And you have to dive in and rescue him. Can you imagine the torment, not just on the child, but on the parent that's constantly have to rescue them? And he's tried everything. And it's no, no, he'll be like this the rest of his life. This is his son. He said, man, he's tried to kill him over and over again. He still, he still does it. This demon's just dominating, not just me, not just my son, but dominating me. Can you imagine how his mama felt? Mama, can you imagine? If you've ever had a child suffer, if you've ever had a child suffer from anything, just be disappointed, brokenhearted, how much it hurts you. She's watching this happen over and over and over again. So he says this. He said, but please, if you're able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, what do you mean if? Let me, let me ask you the question, what do you mean if? 
What do you mean when you go to God and say, if you can? I know you did it for Abraham. I know Sarah was barren. I know Elizabeth was barren. I know many women in the Bible have been barren. If, if you did it for them, if you can do it for me, Jesus, God's like, what do you mean if? I'm not a respecter of persons. I said that for a reason. He, he doesn't think more of Sarah and Elizabeth and all these other women he gave a baby than to you. He's not a respecter of persons. Man, he's not a respecter of persons. He actually chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why do you think I'm a pastor? People who knew me as a young man still laugh. Can't believe you're a preacher. To this day, can't believe it. I have men come to me at every men's conference. We had 2,157 men at Forge this weekend. I've had them come to me, and they just smile at me like, man, you're still doing it, aren't you? Like, like they expect me to not, you know? And, and uh, but guys, listen, he picks some stuff and picks some people that, man, that, because he's not a respecter of persons. So in Judges 6, he goes to a man who's of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's in the lowest tribe. And, in, and among the men in the lowest tribe, he's the weakest, littlest, tiniest man there and considered the lowest man in all the tribes of, of the whole nation. How would you like to be the worst man in all the nation? Like, you're the weakest. They have an arm wrestling contest and find out you're the weakest person in the nation. A fifth, five-year-old girl beats you in arm wrestling. The last time you were in a fight, it was in fifth grade, and Susie beat you up, you know? You're the, I mean, you're the weakest, smallest, and he's like, God speaks to him and says, mighty warrior, calls him out, and he's looking around like, you talking to me? And then he gives him the reason. He said, I recognize I'm in the lowest tribe, and I'm, in the, I'm, in the, I'm, I'm the lowest man. Why, why are you talking to me? He's working the night shift because he's so afraid to work during the day. Seriously, he's hiding from the Philistines and the Mennonites. He's, he's in there working threshing floor with a little lamp, working at night to get some food for his family because he's afraid to work in the daytime. He's that afraid. And God says, Gideon, I choose you. Will you believe it? And he said, I'll believe it after I throw out a few fleeces. <laughs> he has to get some confirmation. The Bible says by two or three witnesses establish everything. Gideon's like, I'm going to get some witnesses. So he throws out some fleeces and some things that God has to perform, and God does it every time. He's like, okay, I guess he's talking to me. So he goes out, and one of the battles he, he goes to, he's going to fight 120,000 Midianites, Midianites, and God gives him 32,000 men. He's outnumbered. What is that, almost four to one? Four to one, he's outnumbered, but he's thinking, at least I got 32,000 guys. Come on. And those other guys are looking like, he's leading us? Little bitty fella riding that horse. By him? And then God says to Gideon, he says, Gideon, buddy, there's some people who shouldn't be here. He said, who? He said, all the men that are newly married or have something else to do. So we offer, he says, hey, all of you that are newly married or you got a harvest coming in, you got some business you need to take care of, leave. Almost all of them leave. Oh, okay. They're gone. They leave. 
Then he says, he's like, okay, Lord. He said, you're still fighting them. You're still fighting 120,000, but you don't have 32,000 anymore. He said, matter of fact, when they come to this watering hole, how they drink water, that's a whole other message, how they drink water out of this watering hole, cut some more off. When it was all said and done, he went from 32,000 to 300. 300. He's going to fight 120,000 warriors. Warriors. He's not even a warrior. I'm sure the 300 left, a lot of them aren't warriors. So God says, okay, here's what's next, Gideon. Take off your armor, lay down your shield, your sword, and your spear. And I'm going to give you other weapons. What is it, Lord? I'm sure he's thinking atomic bomb, right? He said, I'm going to give you a clay pot, a torch, and a trumpet. And you're going to go fight 120,000 men with 300 that have a clay pot, a torch, and a trumpet. I think about that time, I'm thinking, I think I did just get newly married. It's my anniversary or something. But he, they don't. These 300 men show up, and God does something supernatural with those clay pots, those torches, and those trumpets. It freaks the Midianites out. They kill each other. He wipes them out. Why would God do that? It's the same reason why he said, through faith and patience, you inherit all the promises of God. All the promises come through faith and patience. Some come quickly through faith. Other, it takes faith and patience. Why? Why is there a gap? Why is, there, why is it years? Why does it take so long? Because God's doing the same thing he did with Gideon. He's trimming off every reason you have to take the glory of God from him. He's eliminating, he's eliminating, he's eliminating stuff saying, man, this is going to be me. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. No one else is getting the glory. No one else is getting the credit. This is going to be me. And he's not only doing that, but he's, he said through perseverance, through patience, he's building character inside of you. And man, when faith and patience, and he, you allow him to build you in faith, build you up, and you allow him to trim off any reason that anybody else could get the glory, that's when you're ready to receive a miracle. That's when the impossible becomes possible. Listen to what happens. Jesus says, what, what do you mean if? Man, quit asking God if. If you can. If he promised it to one person in the Bible or did it for one, he'll do it for you. So it's not whether he can do it or is willing to do it. Not even, it's not if he's able or willing. He's already said, I'm able and willing to do everything I promised in my word. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. He don't watch over it to not perform it. He watches over to perform it. He said, I want to pour out all these good things on you. And that every circumstance in your life will work for your good if you love me. And you're called according to my purpose. Listen, you were created on purpose for a purpose. And if you're, if you're walking out and seeking him for that purpose, he said, every circumstance of life is going to turn around for your good. And when you get a victory that is hard fought, it's one you own. It's like no one can take this. I, man, I had a hard fought victory to get saved. And then now no one can take that away from me. 42 years later, I'm more on fire for Jesus than I've ever been because, I've, man, he's tried and tested, proven me out. 
And that when you get those victories, man, I'll tell you, you hang on to them. You're like, no one can tell me God doesn't heal. No one can tell me God doesn't deliver. No one can tell me God doesn't move. When you fought it out over a period of time. But Jesus said, if you are able, it's not if he's able or willing. It's if we are able to do what? To believe. He said, if you're able to, uh, I've lost my place. If you're able to believe, all things, how many things? Are possible to the believer. How many things? All of it. Every promise he made is possible. But you're going to have to, it's going to be a battle. You're going to have to endure some time and some testing and God's going to trim stuff off of you. He's going to trim stuff out of the situation. <coughs> and it might get worse before it gets healed. Your miracle will be put to the test by circumstances looking far worse before your miracle comes. That's proven out over and over again in the Word. So don't be shocked by it. Don't be shocked. Say, okay, I've seen that in your word. I've seen you do that time and time again. Abraham got older. He got 100. Sarah got 90. Can't wait to watch the, the videotape up in, I say videotape. They're going to have video. They're going to have uh, 8-track in uh, heaven. But, uh, you know, I can't wait to, I want to see a 90-year-old woman pregnant. Man, that's got to be, that. that had to be funny. And a 100-year-old man going, that's right. Twenty-four. When he heard this, the boy's father cried out with tears, saying, I do believe. And then it, the key, here's the key, and this is the end of my message. I do believe, Lord. Now, what just happened in that very moment is the same thing that happened to the thief on the cross in his last breath. He said something key. He said, Lord, Lord. Lord means I have surrendered to you. And many people do not get their miracles. And not get answered to prayer because of that key word, Lord. Lord means master. Lord means ruler. Lord means leader. Many people, they want what God has, but they don't want his lordship. When he spoke, Lord, the miracle just became possible. When the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me? Jesus like, oh yeah, you'll be remembered. You'll be remembered forever. You'll be with me. You're coming with me. See, we can't, we can't treat God like a sugar daddy. He won't play that role. You can't have you, like, I'm going to be the boss of all these parts of my life, but in this one area that I need help, I'll, I'll, I'll treat you like you're God. My brother always says, he's God of all or God of nothing. He's all or nothing God. I said, he's an all or nothing God. He's not playing. He said, I'm not second, I'm first. Have no other gods before me. And when you have gods before you, including yourself, your own opinions, your race, your color, your gender, your this, your that, that says this is above God. Being a female is above God. Being a male is above God. Being this is above God. Anything. Worshiping cars is above God. Worshiping sports is above God. 
I said this week, it's crazy that more people know stats of their football team than they know Scripture. He's got to be Lord. And when you surrender to His Lordship, doesn't mean perfect. He didn't say perfect. He said, He's got to be Lord, boss. Will you surrender every part, your finances, your every part of you to Him? Then, you just open the door to a miracle. You just open the door to a miracle. And this is what happened. He said, Lord, help my little faith. Now, when Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly growing larger, he commanded the demon, saying, deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him. And never, I love this, he speaks a forever word to it. Same way he spoke to the fig tree, said, you'll never grow again. He spoke to this demon, and never enter him again. Otherwise, you aren't coming back. There's some things you need to speak to and say, you got to go in the name of Jesus, and you aren't coming back. Addiction, you got to go. You aren't coming back. Depression, you got to go. You're not coming back. Marriage, marriage problems, you got to go. You're not coming back. Cancer, you got to go, and you're not coming back. You're not coming back to my house. For Jesus is the Lord of this house. The demon shrieked and threw the boy into terrible seizures and finally came out of him. As the boy lay there looking like a corpse, everyone thought he was dead. He's like, Jesus killed him. Or let the demon do it. But Jesus stooped down gently, took his hand and raised him up to his feet. And he stood there completely free. Completely free. Why does, why does he tell these stories in the Bible, these true things that happen? Not fairy tales, real, real life stories. Because he wants us to know that he's the God when all looks impossible. If you'll believe in him, all things become possible. That's what he wants us to know now, today. Listen, close your eyes if you will and just remove distractions. Just remove distractions around you. I want you to consider your own life. Is he the Lord? Or is some relationship you're in, Lord? Or is something, Lord? Do you give your time to this other thing that, and your money, your time, your effort, your passion goes toward? And it's okay to have, to like golf or hunting or shopping or, you know, to have those things you enjoy. God wants to enjoy it, wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's different if they have you. Only God should have you. So I'm going to ask you, if you've never prayed and made Jesus Lord, then who is the Lord? Is alcohol the Lord? Is pornography your Lord? Who are you surrendered to? Is depression your Lord? Is that what you surrender to and it leads you as depression? Or is money? Is it money that leads you and guides you, directs you, rules over you? There's a thousand things. There's a thousand things. The Bible says there's many roads that lead to hell. Many ways, but there's only one that leads to heaven. And that's the Lordship of Jesus. He's, you surrender your life to him and trust him. When I heard that for the first time at 18 years old, I just went, yeah. I'll, if you want this life I'm living, I'll gladly give it to you and take the one you have for me. 
And I'm not perfect. I've never been perfect. I wasn't, I was far from perfect then. And it's a process of being taught and growing and growing up spiritually and emotionally and mentally. It's a process he'll take you through. But it begins with one commitment, one thought, one prayer, one statement from your heart that Jesus is Lord. If you've never prayed that, I want to pray that with you right now. If you're online watching, thank you for watching. But we want to pray that with you right now. You decide. It's your decision. I can sense it. Many are sitting in the valley, what the Bible calls the valley of decision. And your choice today will have serious ramifications of your life tomorrow. For good or for evil. For blessing or cursing. Who's the Lord of your life? If you want Jesus to be, he's a prayer away. And I want to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. But if you've never prayed, I want to pray with you if you want to pray today. Your choice, your decision. You choose heaven or hell today. I know this, if you're ever in a situation you need healing and man can't help you, that money's not going to heal you. No amount of money will heal you. That person you worship and follow after and listen to all the time that leads you in the wrong directions, that person can't heal you. The thing you're addicted to, you can ask alcohol and drugs and partying and sex all you want to to heal you, they can't heal you. Only God will be in a position, if you live long enough, that you're going to need the, the God to be Lord. And you can't just start and try to buy fire insurance. Make a decision today, please, for your own good, that Jesus is Lord of your life. So if you've never prayed, we want to pray with you, but I also want to pray with those who have prayed. And you know, you've given over to following something else and something else and Maybe it's just yourself. Maybe it's your own opinion. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's, man, I'm just going to do my thing, man. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's discouragement that has led you away from God. And he's like, man, he's standing there with open arms. Come on back. Maybe you just need to come home. So whether it's your first time or your next time, if you want to pray and get right with God right now, man, his spirit is wow. His love, His mercy is just, man, it's just waiting for you. I can feel it in the room. If that's you and you want to pray, I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first one is to acknowledge it. But when I count to three, you just raise your hand up high and say, it's me. You don't have to hold it up there forever. Just hold it up and say, it's me, God. It's me. I confess you before man. And you said you'd confess me before the Father, Jesus. It's me. I'm going to get right with you today. And you just put your hand down, and then we'll pray right where you're seated or right where you're at online. Listen, here we go. Online, send us a message. And here, raise your hand on three. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God today. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the room, golly. Can't even count them. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Let's pray with those that raise your hand. Mean this from your heart. Let's the rest of us pray and encourage them. It's a great reminder of who we are. 
Say this together. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. I believe you love me. You love us. You sent Jesus to save my life. He died for my sins and all those who would believe it. You raised him from the dead and he's alive. You did all of that to rescue me from sin's power to control me in this life and sin's power to sentence me to death in the next. And now I know you want to forgive me and give me heaven. Give me a life worth living on purpose, for a purpose in this life. I believe it. And because I do, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins by the blood of Jesus. And I receive your forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, out of my mouth, from my heart, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I receive the Holy Spirit. Teach me now how to live life in the abundant life you came to give me for you. In Jesus' mighty name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's praise God. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.